Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, Canada's appeasement of China, why countries need to put their own interests first, and why the Canadian government still doesn't know what to do about masks. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. First they came for the humans, and then they came for the tigers. Yeah, not even animals, not even God's beloved creatures are safe from COVID-19 now. A tiger from the Bronx Zoo tested positive for coronavirus. Everyone is wondering if this is now the next frontier of COVID-19, or if this is in fact part of the grand Carol Baskin Tiger King conspiracy that has been, of course, consuming all of us in our lockdowns as we watch Netflix as the Tiger King. I am very ashamed to report to you on this day that I have fallen victim to the greatest Netflix fad ever. I have watched Tiger King. Welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show, everyone. Good to have you here on Canada's most irreverent talk show on True North. Yeah, I buckled down and did it. There were a couple of reasons for it. Number one, I was very nervous that I was just going to run out of everything to watch on Netflix. There's the show that I do watch that I do love that I was waiting for a new season of and it just came out on the weekend. But before then, before then, I was like, okay, there, there are all these movies that I've seen and the stuff that I haven't seen, it's because I'm not interested in. And it's not even like I watch a huge amount of TV anyway, but you just, it's harder to grab me now than it used to be. It's harder to grab me with a, a show. So I, I, I was like, all right, I, I'm out of things to watch. So this Tiger King thing, you know, at the very least, if it seems crazy, the videography is nice because you get to look at the, you know, the big jungle kitties. And and then it got to the point where I was seeing every time I logged on to Facebook or Twitter, I was seeing memes from the Tiger King or about the Tiger King. And I didn't get any of them. And at first I was like, who on earth is this giant mulleted man that everyone's posting pictures of? Uh, why on earth is everyone talking about Carol Baskin? What's a Carol Baskin? And then I'm like, you know what? I'm not one of these people that typically gets a full case of FOMO, fear of missing out. Uh, like I'm, I'm one of these people. And it's not that I'm a snob, but I can be like, yeah, you know, you guys can do your thing and, and I'm not worried about it. But with this one, I was like, I, I have to figure out what it is everyone's talking about. Uh, so I watched The Tiger King. At the end of it, I can't say that my life is any more edified than it was before. If anything, I, I think I've regressed a little bit. But at least I know what everyone's talking about and joking about online. So, uh, And by the way, I definitely think Carol Baskin did it lest there be any doubt. Uh, interestingly, O.J. Simpson put out a, a Twitter video in which he said the same thing. So uh, O.J. Simpson does know best about who's guilty and who's innocent. Uh, but the serious story I mentioned at the beginning, a tiger has tested positive, according to U.S. officials, for coronavirus. This is a tiger at the Bronx Zoo and the first known infection in an animal in the U.S. And this is really interesting and dangerous. Now, it's, it's unsurprising in some respects that an animal could contract this because we think this whole thing came from an animal in the first place whether it was a bat or a pangolin or so, not a penguin a pangolin I realize that you need to enunciate that word because everyone's going to be like, I didn't know they had penguins in Wuhan, but people know that there was some animal transmission. But, you know, I was even thinking as I'm in lockdown, can I like go and play with my parents' dog, for example, as a way to break up the monotony of lockdown? And now I realize even that might be not allowed because, you know, the dog could be a silent asymptomatic carrier 
of coronavirus. Uh, but the, the tiger, four years old Malayan tiger named Nadia, and six other tigers and lions have also fallen ill. Uh, they were believed to have been infected by a zoo employee who was asymptomatic. So this is huge. Now, the animals are fine. They're expected to recover. The zoo's been closed anyway. But this means that the carriage and transmission of the virus has just a, another avenue that people might, might not have been preparing against. And dogs, you know, I, like, again, we're talking about things that are, are unlikely and rare, but still possible. Could you give it to your dog? You take your dog for a walk. The dog gives it to another dog. That dog gives it to an owner. And what's that old song in the green grass? grew all around all around and the green grass grew all around like you come up with all of these obscure and convoluted things but it's possible it is absolutely possible and sometimes freak accidents happen so I don't think this adds anything to the fear. What I think it reinforces is what we were talking about on the show last week, which is the importance of understanding asymptomatic transmission as public health officials in Canada continue to say, oh, you don't need a mask. You shouldn't wear a mask. A mask is only valid or valuable if you have COVID-19. And we'll talk about how the federal government in Canada seems to be wavering on that uh, in a little bit. But I want to begin by talking about Politburo Pat Haidu, alternatively Hanoi Haidu, the health minister in Canada who appears to have her top priority not as the public health of Canadians but of the appeasement of the Chinese regime. Now this is something that is so unconscionable and I know it happened last Thursday now so about you know five days ago but I, I still have to talk about it now because this is just such a, a despicable and disgusting display from a Canadian leader or a so-called leader in Canada, actually a so-called Canadian at this point, given that she's parroting lines from China's communist regime without equivocation. Patty Haidu was asked the question that I said on one or I think both of my shows last week needs to be asked of Canadian lawmakers, and that is whether you trust the numbers coming out of China. Now, Justin Trudeau gave a, a very waffly, meandering answer on this question. He wasn't really speaking to the meat of it. He said, oh, those are those are questions for future times. He, he bumped it down and, and didn't really give it too much thought. And let's roll that clip, actually. Just to switch gears now on China, U.S. intelligence reports reveal that China concealed the degree and the severity of the outbreak. I'm just wondering, does Canada have the similar intelligence? And in the past, we have said that we, we trust China and their information. Do we still trust China and their information? Uh, we know that countries around the world have been sharing information with each other on their cases and on uh, what has been effective in terms of measures. We've learned a lot from uh, South Korea, Singapore and other countries. We've learned, unfortunately, a lot from Italy as well in terms of what, what worked and what didn't work there. Um, we need to can keep learning from other countries, but we also need uh, to be really thoughtful about how we uh, process and, and, uh, and understand that information. Uh, obviously, there'll be many many questions uh, as this uh, is all uh, uh, all worked through over the coming months and, and indeed years on how this was handled, what lessons are taken, uh, who did well, who didn't do as well, uh, and who uh, was perhaps not as forthcoming with the global community as they should have been. Uh, those are questions, though, uh, for future times. Our focus right now is on getting through this uh, in a way that keeps Canadians whole and safe. 
So yeah, I thought that was actually a terrible answer when I heard it. And when I heard Patty Haidu talk about it, I was longing for the non-committal, weak, limp-fisted answer from Justin Trudeau when I heard what Patty Haidu had to say. And I'm going to play it in a moment, but I, I want to just set the stage here. We're talking about China. We're talking about China with its human rights abuses. We're talking about China with its inability to tell the truth at the best of times. We're talking about China, which right now is holding captive two Canadians, the, the infamous two Michaels. We're talking about that China. So the idea of trusting China seems like a pretty fruitless endeavor in general, certainly in the case of the China-originated virus, the coronavirus that originated from China. So Patty Haidu, Canada's supposed health minister, Politburo Patty, as we call her now, is asked whether she believes the China numbers. Here's that exchange. There's no indication that the data that came out of China uh, in terms of their infection rate and their death rate uh, was falsified in any way. In fact, uh, if you look at the death rate uh, overall in China, it's much higher than the one we're seeing now. All right, please let her finish. No. Ian. So I would say that your question is feeding into the conspiracy theories that many people have been perpetuating on the, on the internet. And it's important to remember that there is no way to beat a global pandemic if we're actually not willing to work together as a globe. We will have to come up with a global solution to this virus. No country is an island. And I am so proud of the Canadian researchers that are part of the World Health Organization Solidarity Project that are working on developing vaccines and treatments for this virus um, that that uh, undoubtedly are going to be a big part of the solution about how we all get ourselves out of this situation. Yeah, she certainly earned the Politburo Patty title. As I said with Candace Malcolm last week, I don't know what the Chinese equivalent of poutine is. Maybe it's Peking duck or something or Kung Pao chicken. But she's certainly gotten her reward from the Politburo for parroting the China line without equivocation, without hesitation and without any shame. I mean, that's the thing. It's not even just that she's doing what Trudeau did, which is listen. I mean, we'll, we'll, there will come a time where we need to look at this and look at it seriously, but that's not now. She she doubles down and actually doubled down the next day as well by saying there's no indication China can't be trusted. Those are her words. No indication. No indication that we cannot trust China, the China that I just described, when it tells us how many people have contracted and how many people have died from the coronavirus strain that we're talking about now, COVID-19. Now, there are a few different aspects of this that are important. Number one, there is the Bloomberg report uh, citing U.S. intelligence. This report saying that there is a high likelihood in the mindset of the U.S. intelligence community that the China numbers are way off, that they just can't be trusted. You've got reports from the ground of mass cremations, incinerators running around the clock. And also, by the way, you have from that uh, also numbers that are talking about this Barron's report that I saw that I found kind of interesting, how the trajectory, the data that we've, we saw from China was almost too perfect. So the implication there was that you have 
And the best way of describing it is a line that if you were to make up a line and make up a trajectory, that's the numbers we'd see from China. And this is, again, from a barren story. I'm not a data analyst. I haven't crunched the numbers like they have, but you can see on the screen what I'm talking about. They say that the numbers just seem too perfect to occur naturally. You know, Boris Johnson, not this, you know, evil uh, gun-toting American redneck like the media is trying to point out to all the Americans, uh, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, has said that the UK government has evidence numbers could be 40 times higher than what China has admitted to. Just put that in context. 40 times higher. This is not an insignificant differential. And even from the mainstream media, the Washington Post has a story talking about the imbalance. The Washington Post says as well it could be multiple times higher than what China has acknowledged. Multiple. We're not talking about a rounding error. We're not talking about a difference of just a couple here and there. We're talking about massive cover-ups by the Chinese regime to deflate their numbers, their death toll, their infections, which is par for the course. And might I remind you that even the Chinese Politburo, the Chinese Politburo, who's been showering Patty Haidu with affection since she decided to embrace their talking points last week, has acknowledged its shortcomings. This is what their own words were. They acknowledged shortcomings and deficiencies in the handling of the virus. China has actually gone back and revamped and revised its numbers a few times. So they are even acknowledging themselves that their approach has not been the most accurate or valid throughout this crisis. And again, even Justin Trudeau was saying, listen, I mean, we, we can talk about this and in, in, in the future. And I never thought, I mean, maybe that's the strategy here. Maybe Politburo Patty has to look so inept and so in the bag for the Chinese that it makes Justin Trudeau's position look moderate and nuanced. That's the only explanation I can think of is that she's the one that has to fall on the sword to make it look like uh, Justin Trudeau is the steady hand leading us through this crisis. And admittedly, if you set the bar so low that the seven dwarves couldn't even play limbo under it, it makes Justin Trudeau look a little bit better because it's not that big a bar that he has to clear to look like the adult in the room. Because I talked last week on the show about my concern with Francois-Philippe Champagne's tweet that was showering gratitude on the Chinese for uh, sending medical supplies to Canada. And what was interesting is a European Union diplomat, Joseph Burrell, had called this, not specifically referring to Canada, but China's conduct in general around the world as, quote, the politics of generosity. And what uh, Monsieur Burrell was talking about is how China uses this supposed benevolence on its part for very political purposes. So even with this benevolence of sorts, you can't take it at face value. You have to approach it with a level of skepticism. And I wrote a column about this. Canada's appeasement of China needs to stop because China has tried to turn the propaganda machine into full force. That's what China's done always. That's what China's doing now. The Wuhan flu, the Kung flu, the coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, has threatened China's reputation. China needs regime survival. So the propaganda machine goes into full force. And when China was on the receiving end of 16 tons of medical gear from Canada and starts to get bad press, it was only when that bad press started that China's sending stuff to other countries, including Canada. 
By the way, we don't even know if the Canadian equipment that we got from China is working. I mean, China has been responsible for hundreds of thousands, I think millions of units of testing kits and masks that have had to be recalled. In Spain, they had, uh, I think it was Spain or Turkey, I can't remember offhand, but the testing kits only had a 30% accuracy rate, so the dollar store pregnancy test would have given you a better read. You had masks that needed to be recalled in Spain. I think a lot of the masks that people are making themselves out of, like, fabric are probably better than some of these, like, Chinese recalls that are being done in Spain and Turkey and the Netherlands and all of these other countries because China is exporting its crap. China gets the good stuff, China exports crap, but Chinese embassies tweet about, oh yes, we're, you know, pleased to help the global effort, pleased to do all of this stuff. So, you know, the fact is, there is always going to be, there's always going to be this skepticism that we need to have with China. And for the liberals to abandon that, and not just abandon that, but to actively resist it, for the liberals to actively resist it and accuse people who ask about China's numbers of Chinese conspiracy theories or conspiracy theories about the Chinese and the Chinese regime is unconscionable. We're not talking about some, you know, rabid conspiracy theorist who asked the question. It was a CTV field producer who asked the question, which is a very legitimate one and good on him for asking it about whether we can trust China's numbers. That's it. What's what's wrong with that? What is wrong with that? Can we trust China's numbers? And then he follows up and she says, you're, you're just feeding conspiracy theories right now. So that that is just so egregious and so offensive. And interestingly enough, exactly how the Chinese government responds to critical skepticism, which is just to, I mean, certainly I would take her finger wagging over what the Chinese Politburo would do, because at least the guy still has his legs and he still gets to walk around. I mean, you try that in China, uh, which is the country that is apparently so fondly trusted and believed by Politburo Patty, and it's a very different story. And interestingly enough, uh, the Chinese absolutely adore uh, Politburo Patty now. I, I'm going to read a couple of tweets here. My personal favorite was from this guy who is a columnist for the, uh, well, a columnist for China Daily and a bureau chief for China Daily's EU operation, Chen Weiwa. He says, Canadian Health Minister Haidu is a role model. She is a disappointment to those paparazzi journalists and fear mongers. Now, I don't know if I am the paparazzi journalist or fear monger in question. He was, after all, uh, retweeting me when he did that. But that's the whole thing. So when you're getting support and accolades from the Chinese Communist Party's publicity wing, which is what uh, that news outlet supposedly is owned by, it's certainly not something you want to be proud of. And, you know, there were a couple of other tweets as well from uh, people like this one, Shen Shiwei, the voice from Canada, liberal politician on COVID-19, hashtag coronavirus truth. And that is from a news producer, apparently, also. So, you know, you have all of these Chinese media, Chinese state media or state-adjacent media that are like, oh, yeah, Patty Haidu's fantastic. And you got to wonder why. I mean, we think it's bad enough when the liberals in Canada are cozying up to CBC, more concerned by them cozying up to the Chinese state equivalent. 
But this is what's happening now. So we are faced with the reckoning or need to be faced with the reckoning that our government is more interested in China appeasement than it is in public health in Canada. And some people were saying, oh, well, no, 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 because we need medical equipment from China, uh, she was just trying to be diplomatic. And uh, you know what? There's a time for diplomacy. Right now, no one should be bending over backwards or bending in any direction for China. No one at all. They should be the ones bending over for the world right now. So even if there is medical equipment at stake, which again is, you know, you might as well just like take some extra paste pieces of toilet paper and cover your face with them because that's about as good as the equipment that China is exporting right now is. Even with that at stake, no one should be subverting, subverting the healthy and necessary skepticism that we all need to have with China. Certainly not the supposed health minister of Canada. We'll be back in a moment. More of The Andrew Lawton Show coming up. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. You know, I think one of the big takeaways that we should extract from the whole China thing is the importance of not being beholden to other countries. And Ontario Premier Doug Ford said this this past week. He was actually very disappointed, very frustrated when the news came out that Donald Trump had ordered 3M to stop exporting N95 masks to other countries, and that included Canada. And Doug Ford said, listen, I mean, I I think this is wrong. We're supposed to be friends. We're supposed to be allies. I, I think what I take from this, Ford said, is that we can never, ever be reliant on another province, another country. We need to take advantage of Ontario manufacturing and get these so that we have a supply ourselves. And I think that Ford took a very measured and positive position. I I think that the Canadian media has just so drastically torqued this 3M thing out of context. And I think there's been a a very short-sighted approach to it. And I actually wanted to talk about it because I tweeted something about it that did very well in US and I was getting jumped on by a lot of Canadians and and I was going to explain it. And I'm like, you know what? This is why I have a show. Twitter is not good for pretty much anything. It's good for Tiger King memes. That's it. But I did find it interesting that all of these Canadians who could, because in Canada right now, we have a shortage of these masks. And Canadians were outraged that in the U.S., Donald Trump wanted to prevent 3M from sending them to other countries because the U.S. had a shortage. And I thought, okay, I get it because Canada and the U.S. have this longstanding relationship, longest unprotected border in the world, largest trading relationship in the world. Uh, They are friends. I mean, everyone's talking about uh, Gander, Newfoundland taking in planes during 9-11, which became the basis for the play Come From Away, whether it was, uh, you know, Canadians working with the U.S. on that mission to free American hostages from Iran that were holed up at the Canadian embassy. You have all of these different uh, things that are part of this relationship, part of this history. And the fact that, again, the economies are so integrated, you could not put a wall between them, as we've learned in the last few weeks, without there being drastic consequences. But at the same time, Donald Trump was elected based on a very simple premise, America first. And that idea is offensive to everyone but Americans. Whereas I think every country needs to put its own interests first. We need to have Canada first, Britain first, Mexico first. And that doesn't mean ignoring other countries. I am not a protectionist. I actually deplore protectionism. I think trade is in the economic interests of countries and people who live in countries. 
But I do think that when you are in a crisis situation like we are now, I understand a country saying, hmm, we have a shortage of these things. We need them. American lives are at stake. Why are we sending our masks to other countries when we have a shortage? And you put a flip side on it. Let's say that Canada was manufacturing N95 masks, which by the way, it wasn't. At the time this happened, there was no domestic N95 production in Canada. I think there are some companies that are trying to retool or are doing other masks or similar masks, but at the time there was none. So if Canada had a shortage and a Canadian company were making these masks, and the U.S. were to come in there with a ridiculous bully offer and says, we're going to buy those, don't sell them to your own country, we're going to buy them and take them off the border, or we're going to take half of them, whatever. And the company said, okay, do you not think there would be outrage from Canadians? Wait, why are masks in Canada going to the U.S.? Why are masks in Canada going to Mexico or going to the U.K.? And when you flip it, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I don't know why people weren't seeing that. The media was hammering Trudeau on this. Trudeau and Christian Freeland were talking about how disappointed they were and how upsetting and how devastating this was and all of that. And I thought that Doug Ford had the best position on it of anyone because he said, listen, I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. I understand why they're looking out for themselves. I'm disappointed they're doing it. I, I get it. It's wrong, but I get it. And, and that was my point on this, which is that it is wrong, but I get it. And I think there is some truth to that idea idea that we should not as a country be beholden to others and be beholden to other countries. We should have our own stockpiles. We should have our own manufacturing of them. Or at the very least, we should have places that on a dime could switch or retool to manufacturing these things. But but I, I found it just so baffling that a country putting its own interests first was seen as such a, a radical concept to so many people. Like, if I have to see one more time, oh, but Gander, Newfoundland, yeah, okay, for yeah, great. The people of Gander, I'm sure, are lovely. The people of Newfoundland are lovely. They did a great thing. But where that comparison doesn't hold water, of all the come-from-aways landing in Gander, where that comparison doesn't hold water is that Gander wasn't under attack at the same time. So imagine if the U.S. was under attack and Newfoundland was under attack, and then Newfoundland still said, okay, we're going to divert our resources that are very scarce right now to help all of these American airliners. That wouldn't have happened because it couldn't have happened. So right now, we're in a very different situation in that both of us are being attacked by the same thing, which is COVID-19. If anything, it is worse in the U.S., the U.S. is the new epicenter of this, and all the Canadian media that have been hammering Trudeau for daring to, uh, well, basically hammering Trudeau over this are aware of this because they've been saying, oh, the U.S. is so bad and Trump is so bad and the U.S. people are dying in, in huge numbers, which they are. I mean, it's the U.S. is ahead of where we are in Canada right now. But all of these people are like, why should we be offended by a country that has become the epicenter saying, listen, we need to keep our supply? Now, what I will say is that I think it's short-sighted because I think that capacity is increasing. I do think there's enough to go around, assuming manufacturing is continuing. And I also think that it is very disheartening when a government is directing private enterprise. Like, that was my bigger issue here, was the government saying to 3M, you can't do this when 3M wanted to. 
So in that case, but that's a separate issue. No one was expressing their displeasure because it was like violating the principle of independent business. They were all upset because, oh, Canadians are so nice and we've been so nice to you and we love you and and why are you not doing it back? It's like this Canadian inferiority complex that Canadians have, which is like this constant desire for American affection gets very sad after a while. And I think that what needs to be taken from this as we move forward is the importance of Canada putting Canada first and Canada putting the interests of Canada first and this national pride and national independence that is not protectionism. I deplore protectionism, but it's understanding when things get tough, you have to put your own country's interest first. And that's what every country around the world should be doing. And it's what most around the world are doing. And to get mad at another country for doing that. Now, don't get me wrong. We can talk through it and say, listen, let's talk about numbers. Let's find a solution. Let's talk about what we have for you that you uh, could repay us, make it a trade. You know, Spencer Fernando had a great piece up there on his website, spencerfernando.com, where he said, if Trump wants to stop shipping masks to Canada, we can stop shipping the pulp to make them. And I I think that's a great point. And no one wants a trade war between allies at a time when they could be working together. But that is the inevitable byproduct of it. And I think that reinforces the importance of trade is that it is a two-way street. And it's not just about the best of the U.S. coming to Canada. It's about stuff going back and forth. I forget the exact numbers, but I read something a while ago about the number of times that a car has basically crossed the border before it ends up in a driver's hands. I mean, not physically, but, you know, this part, this part, this part, this part, and, and it all comes together. So you can't Uh, disintegrate that linkage of those two economies, nor should you. But similarly, you should never be offended by a country that wants to put its own interests first. In fact, that type of attitude, not the 3M thing in, in specific terms, but that general attitude of a country putting its own interests first is what countries should aspire to, not what countries should be repulsed or repelled by. We've got to take a break. When we come back, more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. As everyone is focused, I think, justifiably and gratefully on the public health implications, we have seen this encroachment of state power that I I think is important to note here. And interestingly enough, the Canadian press had a a piece that I thought was very solid on this. It was that civil liberties groups are, are saying, you know, remain vigilant about your rights, even with everything that's happening, even with coronavirus and COVID-19. A human rights lawyer from Montreal had said the Charter of Rights and Freedoms has not disappeared. Government has more leeway, but rights still exist. Other liberties groups as well saying very similar things. And it's important because rights exist insofar as you have the ability or should have the ability to do everything until it threatens someone else's rights. And that's where I I think public health measures can be justified from government, but Certain times we're seeing around the world, not just in Canada, around the world, 
measures that have no public health benefit and are still going after individual people's rights. You know, there was one that I saw in Britain, for example, where two people were having a a barbecue on a beach, an empty beach. They were social distancing, and police ended up uh, violating social distance by getting right in the couple's face and then had to, like, douse their barbecue uh, to get them to leave. They had taken a helmet, filled it with water, and threw it on there. Now, again, the beach was closed. I get it. But no one was benefiting from that. No one's health benefited from that. You see other stories, especially in the UK, by the way, where this is happening. A story in the New York Times, police are using drones, uh, public shaming, and Easter egg bans as they try to target people that are breaking these laws and lockdown requests. Uh, You have other stories as well, such as uh, police getting mad at those who are exercising more than once a day. So this is from BBC. Uh, Nick Adderley from Northamptonshire Police has said that they're getting dozens and dozens of calls about people ignoring the order of taking one form of exercise a day. So that's it. You get one form of exercise a day. And what Mr. Adderley said is, we're getting calls from people who say, I think my neighbor is going out on a second run. I want you to come and arrest them. Now, can you imagine how joyless your life must be If you want to take aim at someone because they're going out for a second run when the government has said you're only allowed one run a day. Now, this is assuming that the streets are open enough that someone can run and still be six feet away on any direction from other people. But someone says, hmm, you know, I'm a pretty fit. Like, again, I could benefit from one run. I could certainly benefit from two runs. I assure you I'm not doing uh, near my limit. So some of these people that want to do two runs a day, they can take my excess runs if they'd like. In fact, I, I hope they do. But again, the idea that this has now facilitated this snitch culture, I think, is very dangerous. And, and I, I want to make this point very carefully because I understand that we're all in this together. And I understand it's annoying, as I've talked about, when you do your part and someone else doesn't do theirs. Like I, I joked about being on a, a path for a walk last week and I take three feet uh, in one way, assuming they're going to take three feet the other way, and they don't. And this happened to me yesterday, by the way. My wife and I went out for a walk. Uh, we're walking down the sidewalk. Uh, two people, uh, young females, are walking towards us. We kind of veer to the right just to, to give them space, and they continue straight down as though nothing's going on. Uh, and it was actually quite ignorant. It was actually quite ignorant, because even if you don't believe in you know all the panic and hysteria... It's a very easy thing to do out of respect for those around you to just walk three feet in one direction and people aren't doing that. So I get it. It's an annoyance, but I would never snitch on people if they're not putting others in jeopardy. You know, I've seen parks now that have yellow tape around them. If I were to see someone playing with their kids in a park and the park was technically closed, why do I care? If there's no one else there, they're not breaking the rules. They're not breaking the spirit of the rules. Because the problem is these rules are being made on the back of napkins. They're being done very quickly. And there is a a gap that is growing between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. And I don't think you can entirely have the letter of the law meet what we're supposed to do as a society right now. And that's the issue. So I, I do think that, you know, stupid laws in some case are meant to be broken. But I also think more importantly, if you are not doing anything reckless, then who cares? Why, who are these busybodies that want to rat out people that aren't doing anything wrong? 
So that's where my frustration is on this. And and certainly in Britain, which has always been the worst of the the worst place in the world for busybody cops, we're seeing a lot more of this. But I, I fear we're going to see more of that in Canada as well, because Canadians do not have this ironclad grip on civil liberties. In fact, it's interesting because I, I've got a lot of friends in the US and friends in Canada, of course. I mean, I don't have a lot of friends, but you know, people I know. And <laughs> it's a joke, don't worry. The interesting dynamic is that what Canadians will go along with when Canada isn't actually as far gone as the U.S. is as far as coronavirus goes versus what Americans who have more of an issue right now with the virus will uh, push back against. It's a very interesting dynamic because Americans love them or hate them, love their rights and they love their freedom and they are not going to take a state ordered lockdown lying down. Whereas Canadians will willfully hand everything over. That's one of the larger contrasts between these two countries. And I'm seeing it more accentuated now. So yes, there has to be a balancing act. I think the valid argument that that uh, CP story put out, you should never lose sight of your rights. Uh, Even if things become more malleable, the rights themselves are firm. But my goodness, when I see police that are going after people, and again, for police to enforce these things requires them to violate the social distancing that the supposed scoff law isn't violating. And it's the same as masks. Look, the Canadian government has been saying no masks, no masks, no masks. You don't need them unless you're sick. Then they were talking about asymptomatic transmission. The risk there being that if you have the virus and don't know you have it, you can still spread it. And now it seems like the Canadian government is even waffling on the masks. This is a page from the Government of Canada website. Considerations in the use of homemade masks to protect against COVID-19. They're talking about people that are making their own masks out of cloth or they're, you know, maybe using a scarf or something. And they're saying that they're not medical devices, they're not regulated, they haven't been tested, all of the disclaimers that you need to get out of the way. Uh, But then interestingly enough, they say, if you are a healthy individual, the use of a mask is not recommended for preventing the spread of COVID-19. Wearing a mask when you're not ill may give you a false sense of security. There is a potential risk of infection with improper mask use and uh, disposal. They also need to be changed frequently. So this mask thing is absolutely insane. And in fact, the point that I had raised last week, and I'm not a doctor by any stretch. In fact, I know very little about the things that the so-called experts know about was that if if we have asymptomatic transmission and if we have all of these uh, cases where people could be transmitting the virus but don't know they have the virus, then it stands to reason that wearing a mask would be a good precaution in the better-than-nothing column. And I thought this was entirely sensible. It was just based on logic. It wasn't based on having a medical degree. And the federal government still said, oh, no, 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 we don't recommend masks. And then Monday comes, and Teresa Tam, after everyone was given a bit of a heads up by Justin Trudeau gets on there and reverses everything the Canadian government has been saying. In fact, everything she's been saying for the last several weeks. Let's roll this clip. With this emerging information, the Special Advisory Committee on COVID-19 has come to a consensus that wearing a non-medical mask, even if you have no symptoms, is an additional measure that you can take to protect others around you. 
in situations where physical distancing is difficult to maintain. She said everything that I said last week. Now, I'm not saying that she was taking her cues from me, just that everyone in the world could figure this out except for Canada's public health officials, apparently. They're following CDC. They're following countries that have had successful uh, track records at mitigating the virus, like Taiwan and South Korea and Japan. They're following all of these people that figured this out weeks ago and only now are saying, well, yeah, we, we, we think that masks might be helpful to prevent people from transmitting. Oh my goodness. So the issues there, and we, we talked about this last week with Teresa Tam's verbal pretzel answer on this. The issue has nothing to do with masks not working. The issue is that masks need to be used properly and not reused over and over if you're going to use them. And, you, you know, when I talked in my most recent episode about the tyranny of experts, this is what I'm talking about. The fact that the expertise isn't even staying as uh, static as science is supposed to stay or as, you know, what truth is supposed to be. And we're just going all willy-nilly all over the map with it. You know, Andrew Shearer did a, a press conference, and I was calling into it, and I asked about this. Do you have faith in the experts that uh, Justin Trudeau has relied on every step of the way? This is that exchange with Andrew Shear. Good morning, Mr. Shear. Going back to January, it seems like there's been a lot of conflicting information from public health. Originally, we were told by Dr. Teresa Tam there was no real risk to Canadians. At one point, uh, she was more focused on, on uh, promoting a, an anti-racism strategy with coronavirus. Uh, and then, of course, we had advice from public health that uh, travel bans were ineffective and would be bad ideas. And, and this past week and, and uh, perhaps two weeks, there's been confusion about whether masks for just average Canadians going to the grocery stores are important. I guess the question is, do you have faith in our public health officials at this time? Well, like many Canadians, I, I'm always concerned when we're told uh, one thing one week and then uh, something completely different uh, just a few days later. Uh, conservatives were calling for travel restrictions to be put in place uh, from countries that, uh, where there had been an experience, uh, where, from countries who had experienced a surge in the number of cases. Of course, the government told us that that wasn't necessary, only to do the exact same thing just a few days later. So this is why we believe it's so important to have regular accountability sessions in the House of Commons so that we can find out exactly why decisions are made and why uh, directions are, 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 are changed in a, in a short period of time. We can hold uh, officials responsible for that and we can get a better understanding from ministers. So that's why we are pushing for uh, regular accountability and oversight sessions in the House of Commons. That is the best place to, to hold ministers responsible for their departments and for the actions of the officials who report to them. Uh, we believe that it is with extra scrutiny, with peer review, with a better understanding of the thinking that goes on behind the decisions, that we can get the best outcomes for Canadians. And that's part of this Team Canada approach that we are fully cooperative with, that we are excited to be a part of. Uh, we believe the best place for that Team Canada approach is in the House of Commons, in the Chamber, where ministers can be held accountable for their decisions and they can pr provide greater clarity as to the government's response to this crisis. You know, I thought he made a, a very solid point there. Look, I mean, yes, you, you, we have to approach this with skepticism just because they are experts and just because they're not political figures and they're not politicians doesn't mean that we should accept everything at, pardon the pun, face value or face mask value. So 
I don't know what's going to happen in the coming days. What I do know is that at this point, any of these recommendations from the government, you shouldn't ignore but you should take with a healthy dose of skepticism, given that they're going to be all over the map as well. I mean, if you can get a mask for yourself or you want to wear a mask, it's not going to hurt you at this point if you're doing it the, doing it the right way and you're not uh, you know, handling it and touching your face and all of that stuff. But interestingly, what they even said is, you know, if you're not going to, if it's going to prevent you from touching your face, it knows that it's a positive. So already what was originally this unequivocal, no, you don't need a mask, is now littered with all of these conditions that makes you wonder whether it was ever solid medical advice in the first place. And we're going to see more of these. We're going to see more of these. So, I mean, when all of this stuff was happening with Trump and 3M and Canada and the masks, and I'm like, you know, the, the issue is... Full stop, the Canadian government doesn't want there to be a shortage of masks that is prolonged because everyone who's leaving home wants a mask. And I get that. And I get that a healthcare worker is more in need of it than I am. I think that's entirely valid to say. But you can't fudge the data just to achieve that outcome, which it seems like was happening here. You can't fudge the data just because you want to make it so that not everyone else is going to have these masks when you want them for healthcare workers. Uh, you know, there, there have been some bizarre lines that have been drawn here on this. And, and a, lot, a lot of the so-called woke brigade, I, I think, have had to suspend uh, their wokeness, such as in San Francisco, where uh, the ban on plastic bags has now been reversed. And not just reversed, replaced with a ban on reusable bags. So there's a, a Sobeys near me, and, and I actually wanted to boycott the Sobeys when they put a ban on plastic bags. I think it was January or February. It was earlier this year anyway. And uh, I didn't really get the chance to because now uh, it's like the closest grocery store and they have toilet paper sometimes. But the interesting thing about it is that Sobeys is between a rock and a hard place because in Canada, they got rid of plastic bags. And now the only way to shop there is to bring your germ-laden um, you know, reusable bags in there. And they've got these really you know, cheap, crappy paper bags you can buy. But, you know, if you're going to buy a bag, you want it to be one that's not going to rip before you get to the car. So that was, a, I think, an interesting dynamic. Also in India, twins born during the pandemic have been given names COVID and Corona. Now, this is not even just about uh, whether or not uh, they were conceived because they, they were already conceived nine months before the pandemic, uh, but still born during this time. COVID and Corona are their names. Uh, take from that whatever you will. The Malaysian government apologizes for advising women to wear makeup and not nag during lockdown. Now, uh, out of interest for my life and my health and my well-being, I will not comment on the story. Your mileage may vary. A Malaysian government apologizes, though. So even the Malaysian government, uh, whoever made that order, was presumably nagged by his unmade-up wife after uh, to such a point that he could withdraw that advice that was given there. It was actually kind of funny uh, because everyone has suspended their rules of, you know, I think standard grooming, men and women. So uh, you can't just target the one in that case. I have to go on camera, so I have to put on a shirt, but am I wearing pants? Find out next week. We will have to wrap it up there. My thanks to all of you for tuning in to the show. We'll be back in just a couple of days on the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Thank you. God bless. Stay healthy, Canada. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.